Our content is intended to be used and must be used for informational purposes only. It is very important to do your own research analysis before making any investment based on your personal circumstances. You should take independent financial advice from a professional in connection with or independently research and verify any information that you find on our website or podcast and wish to rely upon, whether for the purpose of making an investment decision or otherwise. Let me ask you something, man. Don't stop. I'm not finished yet. Do you ever ask yourself? Don't stop. I'm not when finished When are they ever going to stop? Do you ever ask yourself? When those bad boys are going to stop finished. making all that money? What's up, my future one percenters? This is Marathon Money, brought to you by MarathonMoneyPlus.com. I'm Cam Jones, the prince of the stock market, a.k.a. your favorite billionaire's favorite thousandaire. And I'm here with Kenny coins man it's a beautiful week we back we back we back and we also have uh a guest with us from the gatsby platform davis Gaines. how you doing davis i'm doing great thanks for having me cam it's great to be here yep so um do you want to give a little summary to everyone about uh gatsby like what it is Absolutely. Absolutely. So Gatsby is an options trading platform. Uh, the easiest reference point is Robinhood. We came out with the idea as Robinhood helped people get into stock investing. We thought there was a great opportunity to help stock investors get into option investing. Options are more complex. Um, obviously, they're more risky. And I think a lot of folks like the idea, but they weren't real comfortable actually doing it. So we put out a platform where we think people who know about stocks, and what they want to do with stocks can take that leap to actually invest in options. That sounds good. Um, are there any fees when you're trading options on the Gatsby platform? We don't charge any commissions. There are a few regulatory fees, a few pennies here and there that you pay, but essentially there's almost no cost. You make or lose what you make or lose on your trades. Right, right. That sounds good. Um, it is. <laughs> it's a different world than it was a few years ago when it was 10, 15, 20 bucks per trade. Right, right. I mean, it. the game has changed. What, what do you think? Why do you think the game has changed like that? Well, it's a really good question. I, I grew up on Wall Street. I, I started in the institutional market and I watched commissions come down, you know, from 10 cents to a nickel a share. But in the retail market, they were pretty substantive. And I think, you know, brokers realized people wanted to trade but particularly retail and particularly new investors just didn't have a lot of money to invest, $100, $200, $500. And you can't do it and you know make any money if you're paying 10, 15, 20 bucks a trade. So it came up with a business model. Uh, you might've heard of the term payment for order flow. Payment for order flow is something that's been going on for a long time. And it's where wholesale broker dealers pay retail brokers like Gatsby and Robinhood for each trade. And the payment for order flow means we have a way to make money while allowing the retail customer not to pay money. So it really allowed us to take the commission off the table. It's a win-win. We get to make money from that payment. The wholesale broker, they're doing trading against the orders. They get to make money on the spread from their trading and retail gets to trade without paying a fee. Right. So why is, um, we were just talking about this before you got on Kenny and myself, we were talking about, uh, you know, commission free, trading and stuff like that um why do you think that um payment for order flow 
is looked upon negatively? Well, there are two main reasons. One, which I don't think is a good reason, is people say it gives a broker like us, or takes away, I should say, the incentive to get clients the best price possible, right? Because if all we're worried about is how much money that wholesale broker is going to pay us, we don't care about retail. Now, there are two things that make that not true. One, every broker-dealer has to put up publicly exactly what their quote-unquote execution quality was and who they traded with. So you can actually Google execution quality for any broker that you trade with, and you see this report, and it says which brokers that broker is trading with, how much money they're getting, and you can compare and see, well, gee, this broker is getting 50 cents a trade, and that one's only getting 10 cents a trade. I think I'd rather be with a guy getting 10 cents a trade because naturally it makes sense that if the broker is getting paid less money, he's getting a better price to his client. The, the other thing, the big picture thing that's, you know, it's, it's pretty uh, esoteric stuff. It's like rocket science stuff relative to Wall Street is when they talk about market microstructure and they talk about how efficient are the markets. So every time you go do a trade, there's a spread, a bid and an offer might be 10 cents bid, 20 cents offered, or 10 cents bid, 12 cents offered. And as an investor, you always pay the higher number, the ask or the offer, and you sell on that lower number. And that's the real cost of trading when you don't have commissions. So what we want are liquid markets where there's a good liquidity on the floor of the exchange or on the electronic exchange, so those spreads aren't too wide. Now, payment for order flow does take order flow off of the floor of the exchange. And it means there's less liquidity with the traditional exchange like the New York Stock Exchange or the Chicago Board Option Exchange, because these wholesalers, the big firms that are getting in between, they're doing the trading. So there are people that say, and they're probably right to some extent, that spreads are wider because of payment for order flow. But in, on Wall Street, we talk about this thing called unintended consequences. Every time you make a new rule, things happen that you expect to happen. That's why you made the rule. And then the unintended consequences are other things that happen. The markets are pretty good right now. And as I said, the payment for order flow really is a win-win for most of the players. So if you took it away and there was a little more liquidity on the floor, but brokers like us, we'd have to charge a commission to the retail client because we have to get paid some way, right? There's no free lunch. And it, it's you know a big question mark whether that'll happen. I, I don't think it will. We don't think it will. And quite frankly, if it does, we'll charge a commission. It's not the end of the world for us. But th these are tough issues and you know it's tough to figure out what the right answer is. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so when you talked about the spread and things like that, that's funny, man, because Kenny and myself, man, uh, we were talking about we were literally talking about this right before you hopped on. Yep. Yeah, we brought up the Charlie Munger um, situation that he brought up a couple of weeks ago at the Brickshire Halfway annual meeting. And he's the one that said he hates companies like Robin Hood. So essentially, yep. like companies like Gatsby. Uh, he's not a big fan of because he's claiming it is not really commission free or or put it as he said, it's not really free. And majority of millennials, Generation X and all them thinks it's free. People from the age of 16 to 38 thinks it's free. And then you get this great volatility in a market and all this, all these people can rush to the market with small amount of money. And I think he, and now talking to Cam and talking to you, I think he just doesn't like the change that's happening into the market. I think the bigger players are not really, they they don't like the 
way they can't be able to control the markets like they used to and things are kind of changing. And that's one of the things me and Cam talked about for the last three years. We're always saying that because there's more people in the market now and it's so easy to get in with small amount of money, there's going to be more volatility in the stock. And it's going to be like that for at least a couple of years until everything stabilized. I don't know if you see the same thing. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Charlie Munger, he's a brilliant guy. I can't believe he's sleeping 90 years old and he's still in the market and still investing and doing well. <laughs> but I think there are two issues that, that you touched on. I think the one, one is payment for order flow, and guys like him generally won't like it because they think it's bad for the market. I think the more important one, though, is they see young people, they see unsophisticated people day trading and losing money, and they think, you know, that's bad. They should be investing for the long term like I did and like, you know, I teach people to. And I think you're right. It's, it's a big change. I really don't – it doesn't affect a guy like him when you talk about the change in the market. Someone like Berkshire, they're investing for, you know, 3, 5, 10, 20, 50 years. And what we do in the short term, making stocks go up and down 10 15%, just doesn't matter. But people talk about the market being a casino because it goes up and down so much, and it makes people uncomfortable. My view on this is pretty simple. There's one end of the spectrum of speculation. Speculation is making that short-term investment or short-term trade to make money today, tomorrow, next week, next month. And then there are guys like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger that are investing in where we should invest for education, for buying a house, for retirement, for the long term. And they don't like little people speculating and driving these stock prices up and down because it makes it look like the market's not working as it should. I mean, I don't think GameStop is a $200 stock. I, I just can't believe long term they're going to be able to make enough money to have that valuation. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. But for guys like that, whose whole you know, life has been predicated on trying to value a company and have that company at least trade somewhere near what the real value is, it drives people nuts. And that, that's a big part of what you're hearing out of the traditional Wall Street guys. Right. And I think my hopefully this is my last question on uh, order flow. Um, what I wanted to ask was you were talking about, um, you know, now, you know, we get pay, payment for order flow on the spread and stuff. But and, and you said that that's why, you know, some of these places, they can be commission free. But I remember trading on Ameritrade years ago and it was nine ninety nine fee. And, yep. you know, I, I was still getting hit on the spread, basically. I mean, so were they, is it the same thing except for there's no commission now? Yeah, so a really good point. Two things. One, the spread, the tighter the spread, the less costly, costly it is to trade. So theoretically, if spreads were tighter, it would cost less to trade. And that, that's where I was saying there's unintended consequences. Taking away payment for order flow won't necessarily make the spreads tighter. Now, I work with some people over the years who study this stuff, and they're a lot smarter than I am, and they would say it will. But to be honest with you, I don't know if it's a good enough trade, because the idea for retail to be able to trade with no commission, that lets people invest with 100 bucks and make you know, a bunch of trades a week. And if you had commissions, you really can't do that. So it's not the perfect world, but yeah, there was always this issue with liquidity and market microstructure. People have been talking about it for, you know, 50 years and there's no right answer. We do the best we can. Right. Well, I wanted to bring up a question, David. So you know how you said uh, like speculation and all that stuff with like yep. Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger. There was actually a book, The Cause of the 1920 um, Stock Market Crash. And right. it's by like Harold. 
don't know if you ever heard of it, but uh, it basically say it was like the beginning. It was the beginning of speculation era um, because that's when things started to get a little bit cheaper um, with trades. Like before then, you had to like have like a whole bunch of money just to get into a stock market. And it was still expensive in the 1929. But um, there's this book. It was basically the reason the reason for the crash because there was a lot more traders on the floor and there was a lot of speculations going on. Um, that's what the book is kind of portrayed yeah. or the cause of that crash. So my question is, I know you run this platform. Do you feel like we're kind of going into that route because there's more traders? Because just last year's crash, this year's, I I don't know if it's a, I want to say an index crash, but a start market crash. And then you got the cryptocurrency on top of it. Um, <laughs> and then, then after that, we bring up GameStop. <laughs> we can't forget GameStop. That was huge. Um, there was so many option plays, option trading on GameStop, puts, buy orders, uh, calls, all that going on GameStop trade. And you probably saw that on your platform as oh, yeah. well. What do you think about that? Because if, if you're making options that easier to get into, um, a lot of these contracts are going to start costing, like uh, definitely the cheaper contracts, the ones that are far out, is going to start exploding a lot faster. Definitely if a program like this, like truly, truly like gets mass adopted, yeah, well, I think it's fair to say uh, for retail, options have become mass adopted. I mean, the difference in volumes, you know, today, one, two, three years ago are radically higher today. But let me come back to the first thing you started with, uh, the, uh, the crash of 29. I wasn't around, but I was around for the crash of, the crash of 2001, and I was around, obviously, for the COVID crash. There, there are different reasons why markets crash. 29 you're absolutely right, and the book is right. There were many more people in the market in 29, but it still was kind of a very conservative, traditional, you know, middle America, upper middle class kind of market all the way up until the 80s and 90s when it started to branch out and more people started to get involved. That's a different issue, I think, than the quote-unquote bubble. Bubbles happen when people get excited. And by the way, the first bubble I ever read about was this bubble for trading tulip bulbs, flowers, in the 16th century in Europe where one flower was the equivalent of like $100,000. People historically have gotten insane with different asset classes from flowers to stocks because, you know, when you're, particularly for the uninitiated who haven't lived through it, they're going up and everybody's making money and you think it's never going to end. And certainly that's what happened in 29. Certainly that's what happened with, you know, when the internet started and we had our first bubble with the internet bubble in 2001. COVID was different, right? COVID was, you know, this massive recession. 2008, same thing. There were reasons for both of them. They don't change the economy. They don't change the investors. They just take a lot of the air out of it, and the economy has to gain steam and, and build itself back up, which is what we've seen, right, since the COVID crash. And it, what's interesting to me now, the market's not really high, but it's what you know people would call fully valued. The economy, I think, is about to take off, right? Hiring is going bigger and bigger and bigger. Companies are growing more and more and more. And as more people become employed and they're spending more money, it's good for companies, it's good for earnings, it's good for the economy. So how high is the stock market going to go following that economy? You know, and I, I don't know the answer to that, but I think you, know, you watch out for the bubbles when things get really expensive. And for me personally, PE, price to earnings ratio, is kind of the thing I look at because that's one easy measurable. How high is the stock price relative to how much money the company earns? 
And traditionally, the S&P has gone, you know, between 15, 20, 25. It starts to get up near 30, 35, 40 as a whole. You know, that's when you get into your bubbles and there's an expectation that it's only a matter of time before it comes back to us. Right, right. I'm not sure if I answered all your questions. <laughs> yeah, no, you did. And um, you did answer my questions. The, the thing... So, like you said, you right now you think the market's fully valued. So you're telling me the last six, let's let's say five years, right? And I'm I'm adding the Trump era when this thing really started to take off from sixteen thousand yep. the Dow. You yep. don't think we're like extremely overbought? We're just like right at the medium, um, like right at the full you. capacity. Yeah, I, I definitely don't think we're at the full capacity, and I you know I I don't. This is not my expertise. I listen to smart guys like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger and lots of others, and I, I try to take it all in and figure out what I think. I think right now it's pretty damn high, but there's room to go. I just worry about as the you know the economy is as I said, I think it's about to take off, and typically the economy takes off, companies earn more money, people buy those stocks, the stock stocks go higher. So you know the question in my mind is how much higher can they go to the point where yes, then I think they're fully valued, and then I start worrying about it coming back down. But again, one of the key things, individual companies, right? For guys like us, we're buying a stock or an option on a stock. What you really care about is that company. I mean, I was looking at one company I follow because I used to work at Reuters. It's called Refinitiv. The PE is eight, and I was shocked. You know, there's a big company, it's got big revenue, it's got big earnings, and a PE of eight is really low for that space. It's, you know, a pretty technology-oriented company, and I just happened to look at it this morning because I still own some, and I was like, wow, it's only eight. So, you know, there's still plenty of room and plenty of pockets, and there's always speculation. You know, companies like Tesla, what is it really? Are Ford and, you know, Volkswagen, you know, eventually going to come out with many, many more electric cars and kick their butt? Or are they going to keep that unique spot they have? I don't know what the answer is, but it doesn't matter how fully market, you know, fully valued the market goes, you can still make money on, on issues like that. And with options, one of the cool things is you can bet against companies as easy as you bet for them. So when the market is heavily valued as a retail investor, take a look for what seems insane. You know, what do you think just makes no sense at all? Like I definitely, I made some money early on in GameStop when it got up to like $400 and I bought puts on GameStop, which were incredibly expensive because everybody was doing it. You pointed that out earlier. You know, things get super volatile. They get super expensive. But I was just saying to myself, man, this company, you know, it, it's not worth $400. And I made the bet. And, we know, all knew one. that. <laughs> we all knew GameStop's not worth $400. But it's back we're at all... 200 now. 200. Yeah. I think uh, we're all still surprised that GameStop is still around. Yep. Um because they've been ripping off people off their games for years. In my opinion, when we go, you know, you ever went to go give back a game and you bought it for like 60 and then three weeks later, they try yeah. to sell it to you for like 19. I was like, what? So yeah. but my, see, I want to bring back to topics of uh, options. So when I met, like, when I asked you about the, like the mass adoption, I know options are getting huge. Right. You know, definitely like with the whole, I know binary and all those other stuff are coming out. But the, now, like, where everybody, because those are such easier, um, options are such easier to get in now, too, including yep. stocks. I think, like, we're going to see, like, a, a group, like, maybe a mass group are going to start focusing on, you take GameStop as the example, like, short squeezes. Like, we really started adding short squeezes to our whole trading scheme now. 
You know, I mean, we really realize how value it and how much float shares are in a company because that's all plays into options now. Absolutely. And that's really important to pay attention to because a lot of people complain about short sellers. Short sellers are a really, really important part about keeping the market healthy. You know, as I said a few minutes ago, if something's overvalued, well, that's the same as something being undervalued. And you want things, you know, the market for efficiency stake for long-term investment, you want things to be valued where they ought to be as much as possible. Yeah. So, so what key things should a person look out for when they're getting into options? So, you know, back to your point about a lot of people getting into it. One of the things with options, it's easy to lose all your money, right? Options are about risk reward. They are significantly greater risk because you can lose all your money. You can be close to right and still lose all your money. (laughs) But the reward, right? Yeah, you know that. We all do. (laughs) But the reward when you're right can be huge. I mean, you can literally, I've seen guys, you know, put in a hundred bucks and three hours later, they're taking out 2000 bucks. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Because that's what options are about. So let's just talk a little bit about options, right? You know, I know you've got an audience that might not have traded them. So just some real basics. Um, Just like it sounds, it gives you the option to buy the stock in the future. And the option is priced all day, every day on an exchange like the stock is. And it doesn't track exactly what the stock does, but it does track essentially what the stock does. In other words, when the stock is going up, most options will also go up. They might not go up as much or they might go up faster. The two key elements with the option are the date, how far out is that option giving you the right to buy the stock, and the price. Based on where the stock price is today, how close to that price is your option. The farther out the time and the closer to the stock price, the more expensive the option will be. The less time and the farther away from the stock price the cheaper the option will be. So for example, when I wanted to buy that GameStop option, and and I'm a long-term investor, and for me, I have money I put away for speculation, and that's how I trade options. That GameStop option I wanted to buy was like $5,000, way over my head for making a a speculative short-term investment. So when it was 400, I bought a put option, meaning I think it's gonna go down at 150, right? $350 or $250 away, and I bought it for a week's time period. So that's a risky bet because the stock has to move a lot and it has to do it quickly. And it was still a couple of hundred bucks, but it did move quickly and it did move a lot. So even though it didn't get down to 150, because two days later it went from 400 to 350 and it got a heck of a lot closer to my strike price, I was able to make money and sell that option. And that's one of the key things with options. Most people do not hold them to the end and take the stock or in effect sell the stock. They buy the option and they sell the option before expiration. So the option itself, and I know you guys know this, becomes like a tradable instrument all day, every day, unless you hold it to the very end. But the key is watching them and getting comfortable with them. So you get a feel for how they move relative to the stock. And that's really the hardest part because you've got all these variables, right? You want to buy uh, Apple computer, it's 127 bucks. It's going to cost you $127 a share. It moves up a buck. You made a buck. Moves down a buck. You lost a buck. With the option, you're going to have to decide how far out. Do I want to buy the Apple option call for you know April, for May, for June, June, July? And if it's 125 today, am I buying an option targeted at a price of 150 or 200 or 250? And those variables are what price the option and what cause the option to move faster or slower or more or less. Fi- uh, volatile so so uh you were talking about you know buying and selling do you think that people have better success rate 
if they sell options for credit versus buying them? Um, there are a lot of people that say they do that. It, it's risky. It's kind of like shorting a stock because yeah. if it goes against you, man, you can lose a lot of money fast. So I, I don't, I honestly don't know. And actually on, on our platform right now, you cannot take that kind of risk. You can't sell. It's called selling a naked call or a naked put. We don't even let folks do it because it is a platform where we're, you know, eventually I'm sure we will, but our users right now tend to be less sophisticated and, you know, we don't want to read that story about the person who lost a hundred thousand yeah. dollars and didn't realize it was coming. Yeah. We do not want that to happen to our customers. So it, it is more risky and a lot of people lose a lot of money doing that. Yep. And, and then, um, with options, how, in your opinion, how much do like the Greeks play come into play like Vega, Theta Decay, things like that? Like I know Theta Decay is pretty good if, if you're selling yep. options and stuff, you know, that's what you yep. want. But I know these, these things change day by day. So like yeah. how, how much do you put, how confident are you in like the Greeks? It's a great question. It's, it, it radically complicates your thought process. So the Greeks, you know, for those who aren't familiar, are these, you know, Greek numbers that represent different aspects of how an option is traded and priced. And you mentioned theta. Theta talks about time decay, time value. And this is a really important one. We'll use it as an example. If I buy an option today out in, you know, July, August, September, I'm buying a lot of time. And if you think about it, the more time you buy, the more likely you're going to make money. So for a while, my option will have value, even if the stock goes the wrong way, because I have all that time for something good to happen. But when you start to get near the end, when you start to get near the expiration date, the option price, I call it falling off a cliff, because that theta, that time decay, all of a sudden people realize, wow, this thing's not going to be worth anything in two weeks. And it happens quick. So like one thing I say with theta is if you buy an option because you have a particular idea, I think this is going to happen and it's going to make the stock go up or down. If that thing doesn't happen, sell the option because now you got a bunch of time value. Maybe it went from 100 to 50. Well, take the 50 bucks, put it in your pocket and buy another option. I watch people all the time that $50 to 48 to 42 to 32 to 20 and boom, you know, it comes to the end. They've got nothing there. So in that sense, the Greeks are important because they're indicators of things you can watch to help you understand why is it valued like it is today and how might it change? You know, we talk about volatility, which is not a Greek word, but it's, you know, it's the same thing as one of those key indicators. When something is very volatile, that makes it expensive, right? Tesla options historically are really volatile. Everybody's playing in Tesla because it moves so much. So it's really expensive to buy those options. Now, one of the ways people uh, soften that if they want to play in a stock like Tesla is a simple spread. A spread is when you can buy one option and sell another option. We do allow this, not naked selling, but selling as part of a spread. So you can be directionally correct. If I'm buying a bullish spread, I think the stock is going to go up. I buy one option at, say, a strike price of 20. I sell the one at a strike price of 15, and I can make that $5 gap, and I'm not taking as much risk. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the ways people will use the Greeks to see that, oh, wow, that's really expensive, so maybe I'll do a spread for this play instead of just buying the long call or the long put. Right, right. But, but having said all that, you don't have to be an expert. I'm big on learning curve, and if you think Apple's going up, just buy the long option on Apple, and if it goes up, you're going to make money. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how that's what that's how I do it. Like, you know, I don't look at the Greeks because I can look at the Greeks and the Greeks could look good all day. But if the stock doesn't yeah. go in my direction, it doesn't matter. 
Exactly. One of the really smart guys I know, he used to be a co-head of the Goldman Sachs option trading desk. He, he made it really easy. He said, look, when you buy a stock, you got to be right in the direction. But that's all. You have one decision. Am I buying it or not? Or am I selling short? With an option, first, you have to be right on that. You have to pick the right direction, up or down. And second, you got to figure out what date and what price. And that's really where all the complexity is added. So the, the Greeks, what we're doing at Gatsby, and that, it's a good point. I'm glad you brought it up. Got to talk more about the platform. <laughs> what we're doing at Gatsby is we're trying to take things like the Greeks and simplify them. So, for example, Delta is one of the Greeks. Delta tells you how an option will track the stock price. If the stock goes up a buck, will the option go up a buck or maybe a half a buck? So we have a little meter, a risk meter on the app, and it says Delta is low risk, medium risk, high risk. And we want to do that with as many of the Greeks as we can to give you information and analytics so you don't have to be studying the really complex stuff, but it gives you that clue as to where is this relative to other options for this series or any other. Right. <clears throat> So um, anything else about the, the platform you want to let the, the listeners know about? I, I think all I'd say is if you're interested in the conversation, if you think this sounds interested, you like the idea of making, you know, betting smaller amounts of betting against stocks, uh, having the risk reward, we're a good place to start. We're a place where if you can, you know, read the screen and you understand what a stock is, you can, we essentially ask you questions that you answer and that's how you put on the trade. You know, what date do you want it to go for? What price do you want to pick? And then you put your order in. So it's a really easy way to get started. And, and that was our intent. And theoretically, based on our success so far, we've, we've done a pretty good job. We've got quite a few thousand people trading every day with us. Yeah. I didn't get a chance to ask you about Seed Invest, uh, but can you just, uh, how, how was the, um, how did it go with seed invest was it a hard process or, or was it easy to do something like that when you crowdfund and just for a disclaimer i actually am a i actually participated in that that round ah. so. <laughs> <laughs> no, i'll tell you what seed invest was really cool and i i didn't realize it when we got involved but you know basically like any little startup we're trying to raise money so we can invest in the product and marketing and so on and so forth the, the venture capital community where you normally go for money, we were in the middle of COVID. A lot of people were just kind of backing off the market. And quite frankly, a lot of people, you know, look at fintech and it's not their favorite topic. So Seed Invest had come into our, our sphere of uh, knowledge. And what somebody said to me that turned out to be incredibly true is Seed Invest is great because when you're selling to retail investors and you have the ability to have them invest in your product, you end up with your customers being your investors. And as a, you know, as a brokerage firm, what better place could I be than to have a lot of my customers, people who invested and want my success? And they'll talk to their friends if they have a good experience and they'll stick with us and all that sort of thing. So we actually ended up raising $5 million in Seed Invest. Mm. And it was a great experience and it worked out really well for us. It was half the money we invested. Yeah, that's that's mm -hmm. that's good, man. Um, Are you guys planning on to make another round on Seed Invest? Um, I can't imagine we wouldn't, you know, we're not ready yet. We just did this one a few months ago, but you know, again, like a startup, you, you suck in that money, you spend it really quick and there are all these great things you want to do. So you want more. So when we do our B round, which, you know, probably is late this year or next year, uh, I can't imagine it won't be a part of that race because, you know, we love having the retail clients also be investors and, you know, we've made some money because we, we did a much smaller seed invest round when we did our, our seed round. 
a year and a half ago. And those folks, I think, tripled their money between the uh, initial seed invest round and the valuation the company got on the uh, on the last round. And when I say triple, that's paper value. <laughs> right. Yeah. To, you know, sell right now, but you know, from a valuation standpoint, they did really well. We completely understand. Let us know, man. Uh, I don't know. I know a bunch of our listeners that um, we got this massive group chat, but uh, I know them. They would love to know when the next round would be, and for sure, they would probably jump in on that opportunity because I think you got something great going on with the platform. Um, definitely that. in this. And definitely in this type of era where we're going to. And I feel like we're still in that infancy stage where, like, everybody's starting to come in groups to trading and realize, hey, maybe this might be the route to invest. And now everything's so easy to learn. And you can get on Google and learn anything. And, you know, option can be a side hustle for a lot of these people. You know, you, you learn it, you can make it a side hustle. So, yep. um, please let us know when the next round pops up. We would like to have you back on the show and, you know, you can talk about that and then get get that going, man. We'll love to be a part of see how the, how you guys grow. And we'd love to have you. Thank you for that. Yeah. Do you want to uh, give out any of your social media information? Where can people find you? Get get with Gatsby. And just real quick, you know, we have a link for Marathon Money. So if you want to download Gatsby and try it, you could do trygatsby.com slash marathon. And then that's it. Oh, where can they find you, Davis? Yeah, well, try Gatsby, obviously, and uh, we're out on Instagram and LinkedIn and Facebook and, you know, lots of uh, messaging on Snapchat and, and every other social media outlet out there because, you know, we're trying to get folks to uh, to see what, top, what the opportunities are you know, to come on board. Cool, man. And, uh, you know, you can find me at Camboni11, C-A-M-B-O-N-I-1-1 on anything, Instagram, Twitter, anything. Where can they find you, Kenny? Kenny Collin 23 on Instagram, Kendrick Collin two ends in the middle on Twitter, Marathon Money All Day. I appreciate uh, somebody from Gatsby coming out here. Davis, we appreciate you. Um, thank you. I learned a lot. Thank you for your input. That was a great conversation. I haven't had that conversation about trading with anybody like this. And I, <laughs> as you can tell, I'm steeped in it and I enjoy it. And it, it's important for people to have a clue about it. Yeah. Options. Options are going to be big, man. I already know it, man. Definitely. I think you're right. With GameStop and all the stuff and cryptocurrency and stuff like that, um, a lot of traders are not staying in long in stock. So I know options going to, once people learn a lot about them, it's going to be really, I think you guys are probably going to be the Robin Hood of options, right? I hope I you're right. Want, and that's what we're, we're shooting to make it easy for people. We're shooting to give them better I mean? tools so they can make those trades. All right. Yeah. Man. All right, Davis. Hey, thank you for coming on. That was a pleasure, guys. Thank you. All right. See you later. Take care. Peace. Peace.